Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Great to have you here this morning, and you have joined us uh, as we land a series that we started just a couple of weeks ago called Our House, and we are looking at some of the key relationships that take place within the context of the home. And uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at marriage. Uh, Last week, uh, Rod spoke on grandparenting, which is a fantastic message, looking at legacy. And I'm going to kind of leverage off that a little bit this morning. Uh, But if you weren't here last week, then I encourage you to go online and uh, have a listen to uh, that message. It was fantastic. And this morning, we are jumping into the whole area, the fraught area, area of parenting, uh, parenting. I remember the first, uh, the, the day that I became a parent, the day I became a father. It's vivid. It's, it's etched in my memory. We were living in London and uh, life was pretty busy for us. It was busy for me. I was both working full time and I just started uh, studying a master's. And this particular day, I'd worked in the morning and then I'd gone to have some meetings with my tutor. And I, was, I walked out and I came home just Uh, overwhelmed. There was so much going on. And so I walk into the unit late in the afternoon and I walk into the kitchen and there before me is a sight. There's two women sitting at the kitchen table. One One was Megan and she was looking anxious and worried and the other was a really good friend of ours and she was looking excited and joyful. So I was a little bit confused with what was going on. And then our good friend said to me, I remember these words, she said, Andrew, I think you are going to become a father today. And my response, probably not to the, uh, to the comfort of Megan at all, was, no, 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 I, we can't. I've got so much to do, I don't have time to become a father. That were literally my words. I'm not quite sure how Megan felt at this moment, at that moment. Now, I knew I was going to become a father. Like, like it was nine months. See, there were, I knew that it was coming, but... I didn't feel ready, but I got myself into gear. And I'm not sure whether Megan can attest to this, but uh, you know, I, I, I pulled myself and I began to just encourage and, uh, Megan. And for the next hours, I just championed her and, and helped her as she uh, went through the, uh, the stages of labor. And uh, all the planning, preparing, we had different steps and I was encouraging her to do different things to kind of help the process. And, uh, and I also downloaded a contraction app on my phone because and, and I, I really wanted to help. So you know, whenever Megan was having a contraction, I'd start and then stopped because we needed to know when the right time was to go to the hospital. And eventually the time came. I was very diligent. We got in the car and went to the hospital and I continued diligently with my contraction timer right into the room. And and after about half an hour, I said to the midwife, I said, do you want me to keep going with the contraction timer? And she smiled at me and said, no, no, no. It's okay, we've got it. I know in her mind she was going, yep. Definitely a first-time dad. Uh, I was keen. I've got to be honest with you. Ten years later on, and I still feel completely inept and overwhelmed. There are two things as I reflect on that day that of becoming a parent that I think is still ring true today. Firstly, I was completely naive. Like I had absolutely no idea uh, of what was going on. And secondly, I wasn't ready. I'm still not ready. And I think for those of us who have been parents, uh, who, who are parents, we would still say, we don't feel like we're ready. I said to Olivia just the other day as I was driving into something, uh, I said, Olivia, you've got to stop growing up. She's 10 years old now. And she said, Dad, I can't help it. I said, I know, I know, it's all good, uh, but I just love you the way that you are. The reality is, is that uh, I feel completely naive. I feel like I'm not ready. And that is the challenge of parenting. And it actually, it's the challenge of preaching on parenting, you know, preaching on this subject. I, I, I feel like, as I said a few weeks ago on marriage, I, I feel like there's a real challenge to it. Firstly, because everybody has an opinion on parenting, 
Whether you are a parent or not, everyone has an opinion. We feel that those particularly of us who have young kids, everywhere we take our kids, we are hyper aware of what people are thinking about our kids. And I, uh, I turned on the TV just this week and there's a new reality TV show that's out there. It's called Parental Guidance. Has anyone come across Parental Guidance? It's, it's terrible. I, I, I could only watch for 10 minutes because basically it's, it's all these couples, you know, parents of kids who basically take their family on, a, on, you know, on this reality TV, cameras are watching and everybody else, like everybody's judging the way that you parent and your style of parenting. And I'm kind of like, no, I can't do that. I, can, I, I just feel awkward watching that. I, I feel bad enough with my own kids with you know, how I feel other people perceive my kids. I don't want to watch anybody else. So maybe you're different to that. Um, um, but we all have opinions on parenting. Secondly, I want to recognise in the room today that we're not all parents, and maybe you're sitting here going, oh, great. Well, why did I come today? Like, this has no relevance for me. And I want to say, actually, this is a message for uh, all of us today. Or anybody who has any interaction or impartation into children and young people. Uh, because this is a message for all of us, whether you are a future parent, whether you work in education, whether you work uh, in our church, have interaction with young people, maybe you're a grandparent, maybe you're a, a, uh, an uncle or an auntie, uh, you're a teacher, whatever it is, many of us have interaction, have influence and input into young people's lives. And so I trust that this is a message for all of us. And I also recognise that there is disappointment and regret. When we talk about parenting, inevitably, I know I'm preparing it going, oh man, there are things that I could have done better. And I think always for those of us who are parents and grandparents, whatever it is, we we feel the disappointment and the regret with that. But I want to encourage you and encourage all of us and, and we just need to acknowledge that, hey, parenting is hard. Parenting is hard work. And as I, as I was preparing for this, I decided to comb the Bible and just look for some great parents, some models of parents in the Bible that we could look to, to learn from today. And, and, and it was hard. I mean, I started right at the beginning. I, start, I opened up the Bible, first chapters of Genesis, and I looked to Adam and Eve, surely. Adam and Eve would be a great model of parenting. And then I continue to read to chapter four, and I read of Cain and Abel, and Cain managed to murder his brother. So that, or maybe, maybe, the next, maybe the next group of people we could look at because we, Abraham and Sarah. So Abraham and Sarah, would be great. And then I read about Ishmael and Isaac. And um, well, we know what happened there if you know anything about world history. So maybe Isaac and Rebecca. But then I read about Isaac and Rebecca and I see that there's this guy Esau and Jacob and the, Jacob deceives uh, and steals from his brother. Great pain in the family. So no, maybe not there. Jacob and Rachel and Leah, there's a weird thing with Jacob and he marries sisters, Leah and Rachel. Maybe his family, they have a whole bunch of boys and 11 of them that decide they don't like Jacob. Joseph, so they decide they'll kill him, uh, but, but as God intervenes, they end up just selling him to slavery instead. And so I just continue to go through the Bible. Parenting is hard, and the Bible tells us it's hard because there's, I'm struggling to find any good parents that I can learn from. We can look at David, we can look at Solomon, we can look at the kings of Israel, kings of Judah. There's not really lots of good examples in the Bible of parenting. But I did manage to find at least something where God imparts to the people of Israel and speaks and gives a vision for what parenting should look like. And so we're going to jump into Deuteronomy chapter 11 and we're going to unpack it today and just grab hold of some truths. I realise that I'm, I'm trying to tackle, a, again, a little bit like some of our subjects in this series, a massive area and trying to distill it down uh, into a short period of time. So uh, we're going to try. We're going we're to shoot through this and see what we can glean from this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 to 20. Uh, the words will be going to come up on the screen behind me, uh, or feel free to read along with your Bible. This is God speaking to Israel. So, if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land and its 
in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut up the heavens so it will not rain, and the ground will not yield and, and, and will yield no produce. And you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Let me give you a little bit of context to this passage. In the previous chapter, uh, God has again given the people of Israel the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the law. The first lot had been thrown down by Moses in rage because they were worshipping an idol. And so they had to make another set. And so this set has come into the hands of the people of Israel. And the Lord says, as we read in Deuteronomy, now I want you to get hold of these commands. These, these commands will lead to flourishing if you hear them and if you obey them. And then profoundly in the next passage, as the Lord is speaking to the people of Israel, as he's, as he's kind of giving up the follow-up encouragement to surrounding these commands, we see here that the Lord identifies parenting as a key role in seeing generational blessing and flourishing. And what we see here is uh, very quickly, just identify what the role and the goal of parenting is. The role of parenting, as we, as we discover and as we're going to journey, the role of parenting is to raise kids, raise them up so that they may know life, that they may know flourishing. We see this here, implicit within this passage in Deuteronomy, that it's the role of the parents to impart the commands of the Lord onto the minds and the hearts of the children. It's the role of the parents to raise up children, not the community. The community plays an important role. It certainly creates the culture and the atmosphere. You want to place your children in the, in the community that will affirm and value the values that you have, but it's not the role of the community to raise children. It's the role of the parents. The community ends up raising children when the parents fail to do their job, whether that be in school or in church or in government departments. And tragically, we see that at times. When parents fail to raise their kids, often it's the communities and the institutions surrounding them that end up raising the children. Communities are important. They affirm and reaffirm the values, but it's the role of parents to raise their kids. So what's the goal then of parenting? What's the goal? I reckon that in our world today, in our culture, we see the, role of, the goal of parenting to bring up kids so that they are good. That the kids are obedient, they're well behaved, and they're good. I was reading this week, going back to a book that I read a, a, a few years ago by Jordan Peterson, who's a, a psychologist, and maybe you've heard of him. He wrote a book called The Twelve Rules of Life. And the fifth rule is this do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. And there's, there's, there's a lot of truth in that. And he kind of imparts and says, listen, if you want to bless your children, then socialise them. Raise them up in a way in order that they may be a blessing to society around them. Don't let them behave in a way that annoys you and annoys others. Because if they grow up that way, then you're going to be limiting their opportunities for success. Someone who's likeable is going to have more opportunities in life. There's lots of good things around that. Or in other words, raise your kids to be good. And I'd imagine that that is affirmed by many people within culture today. And good is not bad, but good is not great. And that is not the goal or the vision that we see here in this passage. See, to raise up kids to be good, I think, says more about us 
and our desire for control. We want our children to be more like us. We all feel that, don't we? We all feel this desire to be controlled because we feel the pressure too. But the challenge with raising your kids to be good and good alone doesn't deal with the motives of the heart. And we know this, right? Kids know how to be good. They learn the game. They learn what to say and how to say it. They know how to dance the dance. But the thing is, is that if you haven't captured their heart, eventually when they grow up, they will make their own decisions and they'll pursue their own things. They'll pursue their heart. And if we're talking about church, we have a great knack of raising religious kids. And I was one of them. Knew how to say things the right way and to to present in a right way and do things in a right way. But when we do that, we're actually saying to our kids, your identity is based on how you perform. Your identity is based on what you do rather than who you are. And also, if we raise religious kids, sometimes they grow up to be resistant to religion, resistant to church, resistant to the gospel. And you know what? If we want a working model, we can see it with Israel. The warning is there. God God says, listen, if you obey these commands, I'll bless you, but do not go and follow false gods, false idols. The tragedy of Israel is they got the rules. The rules didn't satisfy them, and so they abandoned, they walked away. Time and time and time again, they rejected God, and God was devastated. Here's the the goal that I would see. As we see here, and this is an encouragement for all of us, the goal of parenting is to form the heart's child towards loving relationships. The goal of parenting is to form the child's heart towards loving relationship. Our goal should ultimately be loving connection. And this is the ethic that we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. This is a foundational verse before anything else comes, comes, comes out. Uh, we read, so if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, well, what, do, what is that? What does it mean to obey the commands? Is it religion? Is it effort? Is it striving? Is it box ticking? No, no, no. It's to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. This is the reiteration of the 10 commandments. In fact, this is the first commandment. This is the ultimate commandment. It's about the heart. It's about relationship. It's about loving God and serving him. As Martin Luther said, the only reason, and it might have been Augustine before him, the only reason that we have the other nine commandments is because we fail to obey the first one. But when we get the first one right, the relational one right, everything else flows from that. And this is reiterated by Jesus. Jesus is confronted by religious people. We read this in Matthew chapter 22. And they're wanting to test him and try him, so they come to him and say, okay, Jesus, tell us. What is the law? Summarize the law and Jesus says this in verse 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He's just repeating Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, which is the, the downward stream. We see this with the 10 commandments, relationship with God, relationship with others. Love your neighbor as Yourself. All the law and the prophets hang off these two commands. The goal for us, for all of us, the goal of relationship, the goal of community, the goal of parenting is always towards loving connection. Firstly with God and then with others. We read it in Deuteronomy, we read it with Jesus and then Paul, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, reiterates this that everything is about love and it starts with God. The goal of parenting is to form the child's heart towards healthy relationship and it starts, as we see here, it starts with a healthy relationship with God. As Pastor uh, Ted Tripp says, he says, parenting is not just providing good input. It's not just creating constructive home atmosphere and positive interaction between a child and his parent. There is another dimension 
The child is interacting with the living God. He is either worshiping and serving and growing in understanding of the implications of who God is, or he is seeking to make sense of life without a relationship with God. The gift that we have as parents, as followers of Jesus, is to invite our children into a relationship, a healthy relationship with God. Doesn't always work out that way. I recognise that. And, and at the end of the day, and Rod said this last week, we are not responsible for our ch- children's faith. We're not. We have to entrust them to God and allow them to do it. But there are ways, and throughout this series, there are ways in which we can intentionally plan and gear our lives and our homes in order that we can give our children the best opportunity to experience and know the goodness and grace and love of God. So how do we do this? How do we create an environment where we can draw our children into loving relationship firstly with God? Well, here's the good news, everyone. It's not what we say, it's what we do. Isn't that scary? Who we are, not what we say, forms and shapes and moulds our children. That is profound. And we know this, right? We know this. Andy Stanley, the pastor, says this. You will want to be like, we've all experienced this, you will want to be like or not like your parents, not because what they said, not because what they taught you, but by the way they lived. We're attracted to our parents and we want to follow, not because of what they say, but because how they lived. And we know that our parents have such a profound input on our own lives. We've all kind of had this moment, haven't we, where someone said, oh, you're just like your father, or you're just like him. I had it this week for me. I I was talking to somebody who knew my family and said, oh, you're Graham Circumstance, you yes. Yes, I'm Graham Circumson. You know, and, and, and we find ourselves saying things or doing things, particularly when your parents, you begin to slot into the mold of your parents. We know that it's the actions and the model of our parents that influence and shape us in profound ways. And here's the warning and the challenge for us as we think about our lives, whether we're parents or we're inputting into other people, young people, impressing our lives on their heart. Here's the thing. Our broken relationships with our parents and with those around us ultimately get dragged in to the family. I read a book a year or two ago by Edwin Friedman, who is a family therapist and a Jewish rabbi, an academic guy, and he wrote a book called A Failure of Nerve. Uh, basically uh, looking at family systems and structures and business systems and structures. And he says, for a, healthy, uh, com- uh, for a healthy environment, you need people who carry a non-anxious presence. It's a, f- it's a fantastic book, challenging book. Then you need people in your family system who are a non-anxious presence, a self-differentiated leader. He writes this about the family. He says, The critical issues in raising children have far less to do with proper technique than with the nature of the parents' presence and the type of emotional processes they engender. I've got an additional sentence. Oh, no, we've got that here. I have, for example, almost never seen a mother who had a mature relationship with her own mother have trouble with her daughter. Where parents are willing to take responsibility for their own unworked-out relationships, either with their own parents or with one another, Children rarely develop serious symptoms. And to the extent child focus enables parents not to have to deal with their own relations or their own unresolved issues, that projection process will retard, if not nullify, all techniques and well-meaning efforts to improve the child, including the aid they seek from tutors and counsellors. I mean, there's, there's a lot in there for us to process. There's a lot of weight in there for us to deal with. But I just want to pick out two things that I take, take from this. Firstly, work out your own broken relationships or they will be passed on. Work out your own broken relationships or they will be passed on. And secondly, don't seek out your child to give you that sense of meaning, purpose and love. Don't look to them to restore your relationships. I reckon sometimes we fall into the danger of idolising our children, 
of actually seeking to get love from them. But the reality is we need to be free from to be for. Whether that's our children, whether that's our spouse, whether that's friendship, whether it's anything. And we see this with God. God was free from so he could be free for. Jesus stepped down from heaven to earth and he was free from us so he could be for us. He was able to receive abuse. He was able to receive uh, the, the worst kind of things as he walked amongst his creation and ultimately we know he died for us because he was free from us. He was not determined, his life was not determined by the emotions and the feelings of those who were with him, like Judas, as we heard before. He was a non-anxious presence. He wasn't looking to others for his affirmation, for his identity. And it's the same for us. If we're looking for affirmation and identity from our kids, then we will not be able to disciple them, form them, shape them, and mold them. We are invited to model love. And we model love because, as I've already pointed out, because we have security with God. God invites us into relationship with him. It's God who gives us our security, our life, and our hope. And when we walk in relationship with him, we come to a radical knowledge of his love. I'm telling you stuff you already know. This is, this is kind of gospel 101, but it's also the hardest thing to live out, that our identity, our hope, our freedom is found in the love of God and the love of God alone. That it helps us to restore broken relationships. That enables us to forgive. That enables us to go to the other and say, I forgive you. Can we work this out? Because I know that I am a child of God, that I am safe and secure in him. We're free to sort out and to work through, confront, our, be vulnerable with the broken relationship in our lives, to submit to one another, as Paul talks about in Ephesians. We're set free to do that, and therefore we're set free to love and form and disciple our children. And this is what we see in Deuteronomy. See, once we get our loves right, once we understand that we have, once we have a right upward relationship with God, then we are able in a, in a wonderful way to bless and love those around us. We are formed and shaped in relationship to God. In verse 18, it's really interesting. We see, after we've got that order right, obey my commands, love the Lord your God. Verse 18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Again, it's love. Love God, fix these words of mine in whose hearts? It's the parents. This is now directed towards the parents. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Then teach them to your children. Here's the thing. When we step into relationship with God, he begins to change us. We know this, right? That's the, it's the beauty of the gospel. And as he changes us, our desires change our life changes, our form changes. We begin to put new practices and behaviours into our life. And as we're changed, as we put those practices into our life, then we can pass them on. But we can't pass them on unless we are living them. I'm reminded of my dad and my parents, actually. Uh, there are a lot of things my parents got wrong. Uh, and we've commented quite regularly uh, over the past few years about this, me and my siblings, I'm the eldest of seven kids. And my parents got a lot of things wrong, as we all do. We all do. The reason I think that all seven, seven of us are, are walking with Jesus and active and involved in the local church is not because what they taught us and what they said, it's because what they said matched with what they did. And we watched their lives and we thought, listen, sometimes we don't agree, we, don't even, we think you got things wrong, but we watch your life and we go, there is something about your life that works. There's something about your life, mum and dad, that has great value. Remember walking into their bedroom regularly and seeing them on their knees in prayer. Remember regularly watching them trust God with their money and saying, God, this is our money. This is not our money, sorry. This is your money, we will trust you with it. I remember regularly them inviting the poor, the broken, the disparate into our house and showing them hospitality and giving them a room for the night, whatever it was. 
So, and I think for all of us, we've watched on see, you, you, get, you get the picture, right? Our kids and the kids that we have influence over watch what we do. They don't listen necessarily. They may listen to what we say, but they're more interested in what we do. Who we are, not what we say, deeply forms our children. And we've got to understand, this is the next point, that our kids are being formed every day in every way. It's not, it's not like, oh, I'm going to give the kids, you know, my kids or the, those who I have influence over just this amount of time and they will be all right. Every moment of every day, our children are being formed. Let me give you an example. Just imagine this is formation. You know, we, we, this, is, this is our child's life and we pour into them. You know, we spend time with them, we're intentional with them, we, we, uh, we, we read the Bible to them, we give them good quality time, we put them around good people, surround them with good family, whatever it is, we're pouring, pouring into their life, we're forming them. But then at, we send them off to school at some point with tears and emotion and, and there's TV and there's digital devices or whatever. There's other things going on in their life, peers speaking into their life that are also forming them in other ways. The challenge is, and we're seeing this more and more as children grow up and up and up, they're being formed more and more by the culture of this world. And we have got to find a way from very early on, ways in which we can form and prepare our children so that they're able to love God, love the things that we want to impart in them rather than the things that our culture will inevitably impart. So we've got to create a bigger glass, create more space and allow our kids to love God and love their family and love the values that we want to input into their life in a far greater way. David Kinnaman, who some of you may have come across, he's written a book recently called Faith for Exiles. He works for Barna, does a lot of research um, in emerging generations. He wrote a book a, a few years ago called You Lost Me. They are watching many, many kids just leave the church. It's a massive problem. And he's written a book called Faith for Exiles, wanting to equip parents to understand how they can grow resilient disciples. And he says this, I'd encourage you to check it out, Faith for Exiles, download it, get a book, because five practices of a resilient disciple. And this is re that's research-based. He says this, life is more complex in digital Babylon. He calls the world that we're in now digital Babylon. The things that are forming and shaping our kids are on our screens. It's not just unlimited access to content. It's the range of ideas and the fact that so many are untethered to orthodox ways of perceiving the world. There is more to think about, more to worry about, more to concern yourself with, and that's just on your Facebook feed on Tuesday morning. Previously unimaginable complexity has created an epidemic of anxiety in our homes and heads that is ratcheted up in the hearts of the next generation. What's the solution? Cultural discernment about technology and so much more is an essential practice of following Jesus in the accelerated anxiety-producing complexity of digital Babylon. We need to see and understand that our kids are being formed, whether you like it or not. The question is, what are we going to do about it and how are we going to form our kids? How are we going to form the next generation how are we going to create a larger glass so that they love God and they love the way of God more than anything else in the world? It starts, formation starts in the home. And this is what the passage says. Deuteronomy says it. Firstly, it says, you need to live a way of life where you are intentional about the way in which you are formed, taking on the commandments, writing them on your forehead, getting them into you, and then, verse 19, teach them to your children talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Remember, what is it? It's the great command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is the greatest command. Love your neighbour as yourself, Jesus says. We are discipling them in the way of love, in the way of relationship. It's intentional. It's intentional. It's thought through. We see it here. When you sit down, 
Sit it when you sit at home, when you lie down, when you wake up, write it on the door frames, write it on the gates. Now, is it literal? Well, probably not. But in every area and aspect and element of your moving life, when you're at home, you are looking at ways in which you are to orient your kids towards the love of the Father. And this takes, as we all know, anyone who's parented before or anyone who's spent any time with young kids, it's hard work. It's hard work. Why? Because discipline confronts ease. Discipline confronts ease. We know this, right? If you want to begin exercise in some way, you want to run, you want to go to the gym, you, you want to start playing a new musical instrument, it's hard work. At the start, it's hard work. Discipline is hard work because it confronts ease. It confronts normality. It's uncomfortable. This is where we have to choose and say, we're choosing to cho- a, a better path, a right path. Discipline is another word for formation. We are forming our minds, hearts, and lives. And as we do, we will see change because formation, discipline, changes our hearts and our affections. I've got to tell you, when I first started playing the guitar, it was not fun. It didn't grab my heart and affection. But as I disciplined myself over the days, over the nights, over the pain, working it through, working it through, I love playing guitar now. It brings me great joy. I love sitting down with the kids at night. They call it sing time. Picking up a guitar and just playing, it gives me great joy. Discipline confronts ease, but it always leads to a greater affection. James Smith, who writes a lot about formation, says this. He says, we can't counter the power of cultural liturgies, which we're surrounded by, with didactic or just teaching information poured through our intellects. We can't recalibrate the heart from the top down through merely informational measures. The orientation of the what? Not the mind, it's the heart. Happens from the bottom up, through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love God takes practice. Learning to love God takes practice. It's modelled in our lives as we learn to love God and it's worked out, it's disciplined, it's formed in our kids. It's modelled. So we are invited to raise our children in the practices of love. Love God when we get that right, when we understand that relational dynamic, then we can love others and we can love ourselves. And for the last few moments, I just want to get practical as we we look at that. How do we teach our kids? How do we form our kids to love God, to love others and love ourselves? Really practical. I'm going to give some personal examples. I'm going to be honest. I I stand up here and feel rather vulnerable, to be honest, when I'm talking about our own own parenting because we are, like I feel like we're in a bit of a fishbowl. And I know that we get things wrong. But But here are some things that we're trying and we're learning. You might want to take some of these and apply them for yourself. At the end of the day, it's about intent. It's about planning. It's about each of us thinking through how do we pass on to the next generation. Firstly, raise your children to love God. Create intentional practices that form our children in the understanding, knowledge, and love of Jesus. Let me just give you some practical examples for us. Every morning, we have devotions before we go to school and we go to work. We have a devotional book. It's fun. It has lots, lots, lots of color and life uh, in it. And it just speaks about the wonder of God. Every morning, Megs and I do that with our kids and then we pray before we go off into the day. It just starts the day well for us. saying, And praying for, for, for our kids for the beginning of that day. Every night, we open the Bible and we sit at either at the dining table or we sit in our lounge room and we open up and we read a, a chapter of the Bible and we have questions and we create space for conversation and sometimes, because the Bible's pretty confusing, and so we try and make it fun. Can I just say, let's make Christian faith fun. Parents, let's make it fun. Let's make it enjoyable. It's got to be way better than what culture has because the gospel is and, uh, and so we don't always get it fun and the kids don't always want to sit down and you know, work their way through Second Kings or whatever we're doing. You know, if in an emergency, just go straight to Judges uh, because uh, there's some pretty wild stuff going on in Judges. 
But get them, you, again, you're wanting to grab their heart, not their mind. You're wanting them to fall in love with God, with his wisdom, with his word, but it takes formation. They're not gonna get it overnight. We have the most wonderful conversations now with our kids. I mean, Eva, I mean, if you know Eva, she's a bit of, she's been grappling with you know, the nature of the cross since she was two years old. And she, she's asking big questions, you know. It's like, let's, let's talk about that. It creates space for conversation, faith conversations. So that's what we do anyway, every night, Bible and prayer. Do they love it? Not always. Do we do it? Every night. And then we invite our kids to church every week. We come to church. It's a formational practice. We have made a decision, not that Megan has a choice because I'm the pastor. I mean, I, I don't really get a choice. So I have to be here. Um, but the reality is, is that being, church, being in church is a formational practice. You are shaping the child's heart and mind by being here, gathering together in worshiping community, bringing glory to God, being together with others and encouraging one another. I would encourage you, make church a priority. Make it a priority. I mean, I, I, I journey with some, some people, I've seen some Christian, and again, not, it, it, this, is, this, is, this is observation. Sometimes I see Christian families make more priority and put, put more creativity and effort into their sporting team or to some other extracurricular activity. And I remember a wise person once saying to me, they said, Andrew, if you don't prioritise Christian community when your kids are young, they won't prioritise it when they're old. And I've always carried that with me. Yes, we have a responsibility to make it engaging and, and Hannah does an incredible job. But build that in. It's a formational practice. And as I said before, in everything we do, make it fun. Invite them into the goodness of God. Teach them along the way, the conversations as you go, as those questions come up in the car or in those other, other spaces, create space to just talk about the wonder, the goodness, the greatness and the love of God. Give your kids a big, great, wonderful vision of God. Secondly, love others, love others. Well, this is where discipline comes in often because it's the loving others which is really hard for kids, particularly when they're young, but the whole way through, you know. Uh, not that we have teenagers yet, but we're looking, for that, uh, looking forward to that time and we'll be talking to a whole bunch of you for help, asking for help. But the reality is, is that discipline comes when there is sin, when there is brokenness, and helping your kids navigate where there is broken relationship. Remember, we are forming our kids for healthy relationships, for loving relationships. Andy Stanley has been really helpful for me on this. Uh, he, he says this, he says, correct for child, childishness, discipline to restore relationships. And so he has three Ds, which I find really helpful. If there is broken relationship, it takes place within these three areas. The three Ds are disobedience, dishonor, and dishonesty. When those three things take place, relationship has broken. There has been, a, something has been taken from the other. And so we're working in that place of going, well, if one of those three things happens with our kids, then we need to train them to restore relationship where it has been broken. And one of the things we, we insist that our kids do is when there, has, when there is discipline in these areas, they, they have to go to the person in which they have sinned against. And they can't just say, I'm sorry. Or they can't just say, sorry. They have to speak in sentences. They hate this. It's so good. We make, we make them look in the other person's eye and they have to say, I. There's a pronoun. They have got to take responsibility. I am sorry that I, and then they have to say exactly what they did to that other person. They're naming, they're holding onto the gravity, gravity and the weight of their sin. And then there's, depending on the repercussions, then we figure it out from there. But remember, we are disciplining towards restoration of relationship. Not obedience, not being good, restoration of relationship. I also wanna say in terms of loving one another, families, get on mission together. Don't make family your mission. Get your family on mission. Because any good family flourishes outward. It pushes outwards. So can I encourage you, find ways to serve. Find ways that you can be blessing others. 
If you're wanting some ideas, I'm very happy to give you some ideas. But find ways in which you can be on mission together to love others. I was at the park yesterday, I saw a kid running around saying it's all about me. That was what, that was, what was on the shirt. Tell you, when you get out and you serve others, you wipe that shirt right off. Say, it's not all about me. It's not. Love others. And then finally, love yourself. Love yourself. Find ways to tell the story of salvation regularly. That God loves you. He died for you. He's come for you. You are invited into his family. It's from there that everything else flows. Study your children. Understand the unique gifts and abilities. Encourage them and facilitate them in the extracurricular activities, their interests, their desires, their gifts, their abilities. But don't, and we know this, right? Don't impose your dreams on your kids. There's enough kids out there with parents on the sideline of football fields who are living out their dreams through their kids. Study your kids. Understand them. Do personality profiling, whatever it is, in order that you can see them flourish and grow. And create a culture of celebration within your family. Again, just some of the practices, or practices that we do that every night we have dinner together. It's a rule. TV's off, we're sitting around the table together. And we have a question that we ask everybody every time we sit down for dinner. What did you learn? What did you love? What was one thing that you learned today? What's one thing that you loved today? And it just gives us a picture and an insight into the life of everyone. And Megan and I do it as well. We share life together. We value life together. And we value what everybody is going through. It says, hey, what, who you are is valuable. And then I'm sure, like many of you do, there's birthdays or a time where we get to go around and speak value and life, what we really love about that child. And uh, that's always a wonderful time every birthday. There's uh, every now and again, daddy and mummy dates and all those kind of things as well. But just putting those simple practices, and again, it's just the simple things, formation every day, every day that fills up the glass and invites them into healthy, loving relationship with God, with others, and with themselves. And when we give this gift we will see our children flourish and thrive. Finally, from James Smith, and then I am landing this. The household is deeply formative or deformative space that teaches us how to love from infancy. We love because he first loved us, but we learn how to love at home. So if we need to be intentional about the liturgies of Christian worship in the congregation, we should be equally intentional about the liturgies of the household. More specifically, we should be attentive to the rhythms and the rituals that constitute the background hum of our families and should consider the telos or the goal toward which these activities are entered. The frenetic pace of our lives means we often end up falling into routines without much reflection. Here's the gift for all of us today. Here's an opportunity for reflection. Here's an opportunity for every one of us to step back and go, what are the things that I need to do? What are the practices that I want to put in place from here on so that I can direct the affections of my children's heart toward God? And if you're not a parent here today, what influence do you have? How can you model? How can you impart? Can I just say, we need everybody. The community is important. And I celebrate the fact that there are many people who are putting into our kids' life who are part of this community. And the more that you grow, the more that you reflect, the more that you become intentional about who you are and how you are going to pass it on, you are going to bless us as a church and you are going to bless the church. We need everybody to be intentional, to understand what God has given us, what he has gifted us. And we must, as the Lord says to Israel and what they fail to do, pass it on. Pass it on to the next generation. Let's pass it on so that we continue to see this church, we continue to see the church be a gift and a blessing to a city, a nation, and a world that is broken, that is anxious and is in desperate need of the good news of Jesus. I wonder whether I can get the band to come up. 
I realise that I've covered a lot of ground and covered no ground in all of that. And I also realise that there are a whole bunch of things in this space that there'll be questions and as I, as I, I identified before, this is a journey for all of us and we don't get it right all the time. But God invites us to continue to walk with him and I think that there are some things that we can walk away with today, no matter where you are in life, no matter how old your kids are, if you've got them, whatever you are walking through, there are things that you can do today. So here's what we're gonna do. Megs, I wonder whether we can um, uh, take, these, take, these, take this off. You can take it off this side. So we're gonna do something symbolic because that's what Deuteronomy kind of spoke of. There was this sim- symbols of writing down. So we're gonna do something pretty simple today. As we worship, I'm gonna invite you, whatever, your, whatever stage of life you're in, whatever you're journeying in, whatever God is saying to you right now about how he's calling you to impart and pass on to the next generation. I'm gonna invite you to come forward in your own time. And maybe if, it, if, it's a, if you're a married couple, you can come down together. And we've got glasses and cups. And symbolically, what I'd love for you to do is go, God, I know that you've deposited something in my life. And I wanna be part of passing it on to the next generation. I recognise that we're in a culture that is deeply forming us in, in, counter, in ways that are not right, but I have a role to play to form and shape the next generation. So what I'd love for you to do is there's cups and water and, and as you just, it's, it's almost like a symbolic prayer of just pouring water into the glass. And as you just say, God, I choose to pour out my life to the next generation. And as you do, there may be names, there may be people, there may be kids, there may be uh, nieces, nephews, grandkids, people that you teach, young people that you have interaction with, whatever they are, and just take a moment to pray for them in the context of worship and say, God, I lift them up to you. God, Will you do a work in their life? God, I'm stepping up. God, what are you calling me to do in this time? So in your own time, we're gonna worship, we're gonna sing. So I invite you just to come forward, grab a cup, and then just let, don't take it back or drink it or anything like that. Or just, just leave it on the table. Kind of as a picture of going, this is my choice. So come on, let's stand. Let's stand together. Let me pray. Then we're gonna sing, and then you can come forward when you're ready in a symbolic act of going, God, I'm pouring out my life afresh. Form me, help me to form others around me. Father God, we thank You for Your grace and Your kindness. Lord God, we thank You that You have invited us into a beautiful relationship with Yourself. You have shown us what it is to walk in the way of love. And God, I pray that that we will understand, Lord God, not only the profound impact that has on our life, but the way in which we can impress that on the kids, the young people, the young adults that we have contact with. So Father God, just speak to us now. Encourage us right now. Give us vision right now afresh. And help us, Lord God, to step up in a new way as we make plans, as we plan, Lord God, to impart more to those we have influence over. God, we love you. We praise you. So just when you're ready, come on, let's, start. let's sing, let's worship. Let's bring glory to God. And in your own time, just come forward, step forward and uh, do this symbolic act. Take some time when you're down the front just to lift up your voice in prayer as we do that. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.